0: Psalm 119, in verse number 89, we're going to start here. We'll read through the stanza, and then we'll focus upon one verse uh, with, here for our text this morning. The scripture says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, notice there it didn't say anything about whether we know it or not, or whether people believe it or not. It's settled. You know, the old phrase, uh, they say the old phrase, there's a phrase that came out some number of years ago. I believe it, or God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, no, God said it, that settles it. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, Verse 90, thy faithfulness is unto all generations, thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants, unless thy law had been my delights, I should have then perished. I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. And if you would with me this morning, morning, focus your attention upon verse 92, where the scripture says, unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Affliction is a universal experience. Everyone in here at some point in your life will be touched by affliction. In our text this morning, we see that David here, that if not for his delight in God's word, the affliction would have landed a crushing blow to his life. The affliction that came, it was, it was so overwhelming. It, it was so great in magnitude. It was so intense and it was so painful that he says he would have perished if not for his delight in God's word. One man said this, he said, The word of God delighted in is the afflicted saint's antidote against ruin and destruction. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at three causes of affliction and then I want us to look at three lessons that we can learn from affliction. So from our verse here, he says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. We know there are different causes of affliction. Let's look at this. The first one, number one, affliction happens because of our disobedience. Now this right here, we'll, we'll move through this point because this is the not fun point. <laughs> Sometimes it's because of our disobedience. If you would look with me at Psalm 119, look over at verse 67. Verse 67, just in my Bible, it's just a page over. The scripture here says, Before I was afflicted, I went, and what's the next word? Astray. Astray. He said, you know what? There was some affliction in my life because I went astray. And the Bible says in Isaiah, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But it says of Jesus Christ that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. How many of you have ever made a decision and you suffered from it because it was a bad decision? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's not only a bad decision, but sometimes the Lord deals with us because of our disobedience. If you would uh, look with me at Jonah, let's look at a biblical example here. And uh, in Sunday school, we studied uh, the, the the preceding two verses to our text, where the Bible says that God has established the earth and they continue according to His ordinances. And uh, you teenagers, you're going to see some stuff here that fits in with the lesson that we talked about and how all of creation obeys. God. When he calls, they do his bidding. But in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1, the scripture here says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah is being disobedient. Verse uh, verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the uh, mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay down and was fast asleep. If you would look over at verse number 12, it says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So these mariners, they're fearing for their lives. This great uh, storm has, has come up, and they're trying to lighten the load of the ship. They're trying to do everything they know in their reasoning to survive. And Jonah knows exactly why this affliction is happening in his life. And he says in verse number 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to uh, bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. And so verse 15, They took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. We find Jonah in a great amount of affliction. But why was he there? Because he didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And Jonah recognizes that this affliction... Is the hand of God dealing with him because of his disobedience? If you would look with me at Proverbs chapter 3, the scripture teaches us an important point, And it challenges us, the Bible is going to challenge us to not be weary of God's correction. To not be weary of God's correction. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. The scripture here says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. You see, th- there will be a temptation for you and I, as we're corrected by God, to become weary. To to just say, and, and I'm sure you parents have experienced this, have you ever corrected your child to the point where they're kind of weary of being corrected? They're saying, man, I've heard of. Oh, I've got busted for this every time I do it. Yeah, and I'm going to keep busting you till, as long as you keep doing it. God says, don't despise his correction. Don't get to the place in your life as a believer that when God deals with your heart, he deals with your sin, that you go, eh, just, mm, it's not really that important. Don't get to where you despise his correction. And don't be weary of his correction. Don't be weary of it and think, oh, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. You know, get to the place where you're so down on yourself that you think that God can't use you. God says, you know why I'm dealing with you? Because I love you. You're like, a, you're like my son and I'm a father that I delight in you. I'm not going to let you stay the way you are. I'm going to work and deal with you in your life to get you to follow me. Don't, be, don't despise his correction. And the scripture challenges us not to be weary of his correction. Uh, look over at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Paul, uh, the writer here of Hebrews, he quotes this proverb and, and gives some more admonition with this scripture, Hebrews chapter twelve and verse number five, Hebrews twelve five, he says, "And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children: My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him." Uh, so again, he says, "There, this, this weary, th- th- there's a temptation to be faint." to lose strength when when we're corrected. But he says here, verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? ADD moment. The scripture clearly teaches that as a parent, you are to correct your child. And Proverbs is full of scriptures about how the blueness of a wound will drive away sin that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And the Bible says, what father is there that doesn't chasten his son? Verse number 10, he says, for, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now I read that to the teenagers a few weeks back, and they're going, ha, I, I knew it. There were some things that dad likes it that way because he prefers it that way. And you're not going to find a chapter and verse other than obey your parents. They verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. Some of these guys, they were like, that's it. That's my dad. It's like, I didn't even do anything wrong. (laughs) Sometimes it's just for their pleasure. Verse number uh, 10, he says, but he for our what? Profit. Every time God deals with us as his children, he's dealing for your prophet and my prophet. Why? That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, so when God was dealing with Jonah, he wanted Jonah to be a partaker of God's holiness. He wanted him to obey. He didn't want Jonah to just go out there. He loved Jonah and cared about him enough to interrupt Jonah's life, to interrupt Jonah's uh, escape from God. He wasn't going to let him go because he loved him and he wanted him to be a partaker of God's holiness. And he had had an amazing plan and purpose for Jonah's life. And the most amazing revival recorded for us in Scripture comes when Jonah obeys God. It's amazing. So he goes on in verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. (laughs) How many of you would raise your hands and testify to that fact? But what is it? It's grievous. You know those times that you're corrected in your life? That's never fun. You know, you've ever been in a board meeting or you've ever been you know, meeting with your boss and he's giving you that correction. And you said, wow, come on, give me more of that. No, it's not joyous. It's grievous. But afterward, nevertheless afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are, and again, the words of Scripture are so amazing, unto them that are exercised thereby. Started working out a couple of weeks ago. Some, some of you could tell something was different, didn't you? Started working out a couple of weeks ago. And man, the first day, it it was bad. And what was even worse was, was two days later, when I'm going... Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. But now two weeks into it, you're just like... Pfft. Come on, man, more. You know, you're exercised thereby. It's amazing. God uses the word exercise because if you don't exercise those muscles, they will atrophy. And God says in your life, I'm not going to let you atrophy spiritually. I'm going to exercise you with correction. And sometimes the correction feels like a workout. It feels like exercise. And we want to run from it. But God says, nope, I love you too much. I'm going to deal with you as my child to bring you back to myself. And we're going to be exercised thereby. So the first cause of affliction, it can be because of our disobedience. Now, uh, another cause of affliction can be our obedience to God. You say, well, so if I obey or disobey, let's check it out in the scriptures. Look at Hebrews, we're here in Hebrews, look at uh, chapter 11 and verse number 24. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. The Bible says, by faith Moses when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. So Moses's affliction came not because of his disobedience to God, but because he chose that over this world. He could have had so many delights of Egypt, he could have enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season, but the Bible says he he threw all that off. He, he he rejected it and chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people. So, because of his obedience, because of his stand, the Scripture says that uh, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than anything in Egypt. That's why he suffered. Can you imagine the people in Egypt that said, Moses, why are you out there with those Jews? Why are you out there with those slaves, those beggars? You grew up in the king's house. Why don't you come in here with us? And he said, and he suffered that affliction because he chose to uh, be there with God's people. Uh, Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And can't help but think about affliction. You know, Paul, this early church planter and and all of the different things that came at him as he was trying to plant churches and preach the gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse number 8, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, "...for we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed." Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You see those afflictions? We'll look at verse... Um, skip down to verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but through our, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen... But of the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, Paul said, man, I'm out there. I'm laboring to give people the gospel. And it's like we're persecuted on every side. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. And then he says of that affliction for the gospel. It's just a light affliction when you compare it with the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed so uh, 2 Timothy, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So affliction this morning, sometimes it can be caused by our disobedience and God's dealing with us and correcting us. Other times it can be because we're following the Lord, we're obeying Him, and, and the affliction comes from this world and um, from, uh, from those that we know that would try and get us to, to stumble in our walk with the Lord. But then other times, the third cause for affliction... Because it's the plan of God. Two examples here. Let's look at the example of... uh, Look with me, if you would, at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Sometimes affliction, we don't know, other than it's just the plan of God. God. James chapter 5 and verse 10, uh, the scripture here says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's look at the patience of Job, if you would look with me at uh, Job and look at chapter 30. Job chapter thirty. And while you're turning there, you know many of us were familiar with what happened in Job's life. Job was a man that was immensely blessed by God. Physically, he had more cattle, more land, more servants. He had uh, than, than anybody else in, in, in that land. He had an, an amazing family. He had a large family, but one day, everything starts to unravel. One day his life came unglued. And he loses that physical prosperity. He loses his sons and his daughters. They're killed. His land, is is, uh, his cattle is stolen by thieves. Uh, Different natural disasters come in and wipe out his crops. His life becomes afflicted. But it doesn't stop with the stuff that he had. And you know that we could read through this this morning where the where God allowed Satan to touch job physically, but he spared his life, and there are times i 'm sure that job would have just rather died he 's got these boils on his skin, and to try and relieve some of the pressure, they would take uh, clay pots and and, 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 and break them and, and cut themselves open and and Job is just there in, in a physical torment and he says here in chapter thirty and look at verse number ten. Job says, They abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet and they rise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They come upon me as a wide breaking in of waters. In the desolation they rolled themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind. And my welfare passeth away as a cloud. And, my, and now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season. And my sinews take no rest. The days of affliction came upon Job. And Job couldn't look at his life and say, God, there's some type of disobedience that I made, and and this is what you're doing in my life. And he couldn't look at, well, I'm suffering these things because I took a stand for God, and and I was trying to tell everybody. He he doesn't know. He just knows that he's been afflicted by God. And James tells us, "Take, take encouragement. Learn the lesson from them. That there is an end of the Lord. There is an end to the work that God's doing. If you would uh, look at the very last part of Job, and Job still comes to the end of his life and is never told why. And Job doesn't even know that Satan is behind some of the affliction, that is God allows him to work in, in Job's life. Uh, Job does, is, uh, doesn't have any idea what's going on. But notice the end of the Lord. The Scripture says in verse uh, Job 42, in verse 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And we see that the end of Job's life is better than his beginning. But in the midst of affliction, Job had no idea that that would happen. And at the end, he's blessed. But God never steps out on a cloud and says, Job, What you didn't realize was, and and sit there and explain the whole story, he never did that for Job. Sometimes it's just the plan of God. Another example, scripturally, um, is is Joseph. If you would look with me at uh, Genesis chapter 37. You remember Joseph is favored uh, by his father above his brothers, and they're envious, and they they hate him for it. His father makes him a special coat, a special garment. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 5, The scripture says, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. They already hate his guts because his dad favors him. But then God gives Joseph a dream and he dreams that their sheaves will one day bow down to his. And God gives him the interpretation of that dream. And when he tells his brothers, the scripture says they hate him yet the more. Job's family was what we call pretty dysfunctional. And in verse 20, it was so bad of the same chapter. The scripture says, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. So his brothers are conspiring against him. And it says, in that, Let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Oh, great. Thanks for stepping in, Reuben. Let us not kill him. But verse 22, And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him that he might rid them out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And we know that Reuben and his brother go away and some Ishmaelites come. And Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers. Potiphar purchases Job for the price of a common servant and he goes into Pharaoh's house. And uh, the Lord, the Bible says that God was with Joseph and made all that his hand, all that he did to prosper. And Joseph began to climb up the ladder within Pharaoh's house and became so great that there was none greater in the house other than Pharaoh in, in that home. But we know that Pharaoh's wife, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 39, in verse number 6, the Bible says, "...and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored." And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And she began to tempt him to try to lure him. And Joseph, being a good man and a godly man, resisted that temptation. He says in verse number 9, There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept anything back from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph did what was right. He obeyed God and took a stand. Temptation after temptation after temptation. And yet we know that Potiphar's wife, or Pharaoh's wife, she lies about him and says and accuses him of forcing her. They believe her, and Joseph's thrown into prison. In verse 19 of. Chapter 40, the scripture says, Yet within three days Pharaoh will lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And Joseph there in prison, he tells these two men the interpretation of a dream that God gave them. And he's in this chapter, he ends it with just a glimpse of hope that he might get out. Because the uh, the man that was restored, the uh, the butler there, he was restored again. And he was hoping that he would put in a good word for Joseph and get him out of there. But at verse 23, it says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And the next verse says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. And we know that God gives Pharaoh this dream and gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream. But I bet you that was a long two years. I bet you that may have been the longest two years of Joseph's life. God, I was born in this family. I had no say in that. And my brothers, they hated my guts my whole life. I tell them the dream that you give me. And they sell me into slavery. And they could care less about where I am, uh, how my, about my welfare. They've lied to my dad. And then, everything's going well. And Pharaoh's wife t- tries to lure me. And I, and, I, and I resist that temptation. And I obey you. And nobody believes me, and here I am. And these guys, I thought this guy would remember me. For two years, Joseph had time to sit there and think about that. You know, some of you have faced you have faced an affliction for two years. And it's been the longest two years of your life. It might have been the longest six months of your life, the longest six days, whatever that affliction was. And man, there's a wrestling there where you say, God, I don't understand this. This this doesn't make sense. Joseph, though, we know that God gives Pharaoh that dream, gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream, and Joseph is released from prison. And if you would look at chapter 41 and verse 41, the scripture says something very interesting. Genesis 41, 41 the Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And we know that the Pharaoh, uh, Joseph is elevated again in Pharaoh's house and in Pharaoh's uh, kingdom here. And in verse 52, if you would or notice in verse 50, the Bible says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph came out of that with a good attitude. He came out of that with an amazing faith in God. Where he said, I've been in this land of affliction for a long time. But God caused me to be fruitful in that affliction. God didn't take him out of it. He made him fruitful in it. Acts chapter 7, it says this, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. And if you remember in James, it said, Take these guys, these prophets, as an encouragement, as an example because they had patience. And, and we've seen the end of the Lord. Job ended with double all that he, uh, of what he had. Um, but Joseph here, look at how he ends. In uh, chapter 45 and verse 4. Genesis 45. In verse 4, he's there and second in command in the kingdom. But he realizes an amazing, an amazing truth in verse number 4. He says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. You see, Joseph removed all the secondary causes of what was going on in his life. He didn't. He said he was able to say, guys, you sold me. But there was a much greater power, a much greater authority a much greater God at work than you. You sold me, but God, God sent me. And I wonder if there's a circumstance in our life right now where we see, man, that boss, this job, this, my wife, You know, if there's a certain circumstance that we look at and we see these secondary causes, and if we would pull back the curtain by faith and say, God, you're the one that's designed this all. You're the one that's the master of what's going on. And God, they sold me, but you sent me. Now, the affliction that you're in in your life, you may not be able to say exactly why. Joseph didn't realize that for years. But through that time, God was with him and he didn't lose his faith in God. He didn't lose his faith in God. Let's look at these three lessons from affliction. We've seen the three reasons. I feel like if I end there, man, that's kind of a dampener right there. That's, that's kind of a bummer. What are lessons that we can learn in affliction? Turn back with me to our, our text. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The first lesson that we can learn from affliction, we can learn about the goodness of God. We can learn about the goodness of God. Psalm 119 and verse 67. The psalmist here, David here, he says, "...before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word." Has there been a time in your life when God's dealt with you? God's corrected you? God's convicted you about that sin? And you can look back now and give testimony and say, God changed my life. Before I was afflicted, before God convicted me about that, I went astray. But now I've kept His word. God is dealing with us when He in some of that correction. As a son, God could have let the psalmist go. He could have let David go. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he could have said, fine, have it. Have it your way. But God dealt with him and sent Nathan that prophet and corrected him. And he says, now I've kept thy word. So we can learn about the goodness of God. Um, a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 7 says this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, sorrow can do two things. It can, even drive, it can either drive us to God in his word. Or a worldly sorrow can drive us away from God. Paul says, "I don't want you to be swallowed up with over. Uh, I don't want you to be swallowed up with much sorrow." And there are people that take their own life. I'm sure there's somebody that this week they took their life because they were so sorrowful about who they were or something they had done, and they didn't know Christ. And God says, "Listen, I want you to sorrow to repentance to turn to me." Romans two four says that he says, "Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance." It's, God good, it's God's goodness, it's God's correction that leads us to repentance. Um, here in verse 68, right after uh, we've just read, uh, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have I kept thy word. Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. In that affliction, if we will learn and remember, no matter what is happening, no matter what we understand or don't understand about our situation, that God is good, and what God does is good. So not only can we learn about the goodness of God, we can learn about the priorities of God. In verse number 71, he says this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. You see, what happened in his affliction? He realized that he needed to learn God's Word. He needed to have different priorities than what he'd had before. It had taught him to be humble. It had taught him to number his days and realize you don't have forever on this earth and that we ought to treasure the Word of God. He says in verse number 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. As one that findeth great spoil. can't help but think of spoil. You think of the different times the children of Israel went in and captured the city and they had great spoil. Or you think of a uh, it was awesome seeing on uh, Wednesday night with Awana the kids on their pirate and their pirate costumes. Did you guys have great spoil? Arr! Did you hear about the pirate movie? Yeah, it was rated R. Not bad. Okay, we'll keep moving on. They had great. He says, "I look at your word; it's, it's great spoil." Job twenty-three, twelve. He says, "I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food." I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So he learns about the goodness of God. He learns about God's priorities for his life and how important this book needs to be. And then he learns about the faithfulness of God. In uh, our psalm here, 119, look at verse 75. He learns about the faithfulness of God. He says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. You know, we sing the song, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. But sometimes it's hard to see the faithfulness of God when affliction comes. But the psalmist says, you know what? Here's a lesson that I'm learning in affliction. God, you're good. God, the priority for my life ought to be this book in serving you. And God, you're faithful. You're faithful. In verse number 50, he says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. God is faithful to His Word, and He'll be faithful as we follow Him. Verse uh, Psalm 119 says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. So to end here where we started, He says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Guys, there might be an affliction coming in your life that you will perish If you don't delight in God's word. Now, here's an amazing thing. The Bible says, Jesus Christ said, I give unto them my sheep, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. We're not talking about you as a believer losing your salvation. You can't lose something that you're not keeping. Jesus Christ is keeping that. But you know, there are believers that in affliction, they got weary, they got faint. And by not delighting in God's Word, they didn't find the comfort, they didn't find the strength that they needed for that affliction. And David said, as I look back on my life, if it wasn't for those words and God's faithfulness, I would have perished. He would have been swallowed up, overwhelmed. That blow would have come to his spiritual life so hard, he would have been knocked out. Will this be your testimony? And you know, so many of you, I talk about affliction as though it's coming. Many of you have been through affliction. You've been some of the darkest days of your life. And with the psalmist, you look at this and you say, if it wasn't for the Word of God, if it wasn't for the believers and the friends that I had and and the messages I heard from our pastor, if it wouldn't have been for this book, I would have perished too. But God is faithful. Many of you can give testimony. You've learned those lessons. and. Some of you might be able to give testimony that that's where you're at right now today and you need the scriptures and you need that help. I hope that's a help and encouragement to you. That delight in God's word, it'll be your help in affliction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy.